ultimately, no matter what city it was in, but especially Nashville, all I want to see before I die is a parade down Broadway. Because no city could throw a championship parade like Nashville, Tennessee. So I would like to see, you know, in my lifetime, the Reds or the Titans, or maybe a new major league baseball team that could come to Nashville, win a championship, and march down Broadway. So that's why I was, I'm a, I'm a glass half full guy. When the Preds didn't win the cup this year, my reaction was, you know what? That's okay because you don't want to win the cup the year that you can't parade down Broadway because of COVID. So I think it was intentional. We're saving it for a better time. Welcome, everyone, to the Ultimate Shift. Join Ephraim Glick and leading figures in business and entertainment as they share their stories of regular people overcoming tremendous obstacles only to achieve happiness, success, and fulfillment. Are you ready to make the ultimate shift in your life? Okay, welcome back to the ultimate shift. Today we have Mark Block here. Um, so two people have told me I need to get you on here and thanks to Cisco, here you are. I'm here. And so I, you don't need an introduction in this town, but for people who aren't in this town <laughs> or Denver, Keep you, yeah. <laughs> you, you own and run uh, the Block Agency. Yep. And uh, interesting enough, I did a little bit of research. You, you were an attorney prior. I was. To that. I was. So, can yeah, dive into your story a little bit and tell us like how all this started. How did uh, how did Mark Block become? Uh, yes, that's true. I'm a recovering attorney. I used to practice corporate law in Philadelphia. Was moving out to LA. Stopped in Nashville for what I thought was going to be three days to a week. It's now been 15 years. Yes, 15, almost 16 years which is crazy because I'm only 28 years old. Which is really? No, I'm not even <laughs> close to 28. That's what I like to tell people. Um, and, well, you can put it off. <laughs> I, I tried to, at least in my mind. Um, but yeah, so to kind of fast forward a little bit, got involved in this business, talent agents, and um, my first venture um, didn't work out, let's, let's say it that way, working with someone else. And, you know, but I liked the business. So in 2006, I hung a shingle, as we used to call it, in the legal profession, and opened my own agency called The Block Agency because I have no ego at all and no, <laughs> no, no creativity. Um, but my name just worked. Um, and, you know, it started tough. And the first few years were, were, were a major struggle. And, you know, Nashville wasn't what it is now. Um, we basically survived on music videos and, you know, some other jobs, Shop at Home Network, believe it or not, used to be here before, I think they're defunct now. Um, and then, you know, things just started going well and, you know, it turned into a, a career and a business and a brand. And in 2018, I was fortunate enough to purchase a 20-something-year-old similar agency in Denver, Colorado to expand us to the Mountain West. So now Nashville's still home, but... I have a second home, as I like to say, in Denver. You know, Nashville will always be my wife. Denver's my mistress. I like to keep them both happy. Um, and sometimes I keep neither happy. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty good. It's going well. We have actors and models, makeup artists, stylists, you name it. And then I also dabble in uh, the NFL world with elite athlete management out in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. And um, do a little real estate around here. So... Yeah, that's kind of the, the coachman's version of my life. There's a lot going on. Yeah. So yeah. As, as a kid, to step back a bit, as a kid, you was it always your dream to be an attorney? 
God, no, no. Um, when I was a kid, I thought I was going to be, I'm going to date myself on this one, so you know I'm not 28. I wanted to be like Phil Donahue or like a talk show host. And then I went to college for broadcasting, wanted to be on ESPN or be a sports reporter. And then my senior year of college at the University of Miami, good year for the U this year, I started to realize that I didn't really do anything with the TV station there like I planned to. And if I wanted to get into broadcasting, I would have to move to like a very small market and make almost no money. And I just couldn't, at the time, being from New Jersey and then living in Miami, couldn't see myself living in kind of a rural market. Right. So I said, what can I do? And I applied to law school. And I got in and it worked out. Really just well. like that? Yeah. Um, I was fortunate with grades and LSATs and all that stuff. Um, and I ended up at Temple University in, in Philly, so I practiced in Philly for a bunch of years, and you know, ended up in Nashville. And I got to say, when I when I moved here, I didn't know anything about the South. Never stepped foot in the South. I swear, the first year and a half I was here, my dad kept asking me how Memphis was, and how this is house. We were typical Jersey people, and now you know, I say you know, Northern by birth, but Southern by choice. I, I love it down here. Um, just a great place, and the city of Nashville, I credit more than anything in, in the success of the agency. So, yeah. That's awesome. As a, I grew up just outside of Philly. Oh, so, great. So, I, I relate to Lancaster. Oh, of course. Oh, Amish country. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry, Pennsylvania Dutch country. <laughs> yeah. I've chirped out of there. <laughs> I've never had anyone say that. Yes. That's awesome. Oh, that weird owl <laughs> Amish paradise is like my favorite jam. Like, had the, the, the the, the little Pennsylvania Dutch restaurants where they pass yeah. the food around. It's almost yeah. like an Amish motel. <laughs> I have, a, unfortunately, I have some friends in town who, if I, prior to COVID, if I walk into a bar, that, if it's like, hey, Dan, he, yeah. used to, he used to play that song. Okay. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I like the Coolio version, the original, and I like the Amish Paradise version, my weird owl. Yeah. Yeah, I'm dating myself. Yeah, yeah. No, I am. Uh, yeah, that's a. I definitely would choose Nashville over. I'm not a fan of, of that. I mean, still have family there, but yeah. I've never. I hate to say this for everyone who loves Philly. I've never been a fan. Yeah, I, you know, I, I actually think Philly's super underrated. I loved my time there. I think when you go to Philly, you need to know someone who knows the area because there's some neighborhoods that are just great. Yeah, I'll say it's probably one of the best restaurants at least in the country. I'd put it up there with anywhere. But as a northerner, I love going back up to visit New York, Philly. I grew up outside of New York City, mm-hmm. New York, Philly, Boston, DC. But you couldn't pay me to live there again. Yeah, um, same. I didn't need the rat race. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because I, 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 I feel like going back home, everybody in the north has this terrible impression of the south that, you know, nobody's smart and yeah. they're all a bunch of hillbillies. Yeah. And they couldn't be more wrong. I think the people in the south are the ones that figured it out when they're paying, you know, six grand a month for 300 mm-hmm. square feet. and working until 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. We're off at five, we're enjoying a drink on the patio, and we're making a nice place for a quarter of the price. So yeah. I don't know who the smart ones are, but I think it would be us. Hey, I'm all for that. Hopefully, hopefully we're doing it right. Yeah, and property values increasing, which is nice, so. Yeah, true. Well, too extreme almost. Yeah, very much. So when, as a, as a kid, like, who was your biggest influence? Like, who did you aspire to be? Like. Gosh, um, you know, to be perfectly honest, and this is going to sound weird, I mean, my biggest, the person I was the biggest fan of as a kid was Dan Marino, hands down, and mm-hmm. I finally got to meet him a couple of years ago, it was one of 
Really? Big moment for me. That's cool. Of course, I had to take a picture with though. <laughs> oh my God. But no, I've just never been someone that kind of finds celebrities or actors or, you know, whatever. I mean, as much as I respect them and their success, like to be an inspiration or anything. It's more just like. You don't necessarily put them on a pedestal higher than. No, I mean, else. I, I do in like the family, like, oh, that person's cool or like whatever. I mean, everybody does. You'd be lying if you said you didn't. Right. But never in the way that, like, I don't know, there's just nobody I can pinpoint, like, oh my God, I looked up to that guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew I, I, I'm five foot six in Jewish. I was never going to be Dan Marino. So it wasn't like he was a, you know, right. I don't know. I was just, that was my favorite football player as a kid that I'll always remember. But yeah, no, I never had, like, someone that I was like, oh, I want to be like that person, I don't think. So you were big in sports. You love oh, sports. You so, want to be a yeah. sports pro still, probably. Yeah. I, I think I loved it a lot more as a kid. I feel like between fantasy football and everything else, it's taken a little bit of the luster off of it mm-hmm. um, in the way that, you know, you still root for your team so much. And also, having been, like, a nomad since, not a nomad, but, you know, grew up in Jersey, College Miami, Philly, yeah. here, Denver, been in so many cities that, oh, I, obviously, I love the Reds. You know, but for, for other kind of sports, I don't have like the same loyalty for yeah. a team like sure. people do. So I like to see the cities that weather just do well because it makes it more fun. And more right. Yeah, it makes sense. So I'm curious on as an attorney, and from what I've gathered, you were you were successful at what you did. You did well at being an attorney. You were a litigation attorney for corporate. Yep. Was that right? And so. So you're in that realm, your needs are probably being met financially, whatever. How, I mean, what's the thought process of, because uh, a lot of people, I feel like, especially a lot of my audience are entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. How scary and then how, how important is it? Like, or what started that? Was it just kind of like that little thing in your head of saying, this isn't what I want to do. I want to do something else. But then that fear is stopping you. Or, or how did you find that transition? You know, yes, I was fortunate to have a good job as an attorney, but I paid for law school entirely on student loans, so I had to get a good job because it was mostly going to pay off my student loans and Mm -hmm. living in Philly at the expense of that. Um, Which isn't cheap either. Which isn't cheap, so it was like, yeah, you were doing fine, but you didn't have much left. Um, And then, you know, being an entrepreneur was not not planned. It kind of just happened, honestly, almost by accident, just a bunch of weird chain of events that take too long to get into. Um, and yeah, it was terrifying because, you know, I didn't have, you know, a stack of money or, you know, anything to rely on or some sort of trust fund or whatever. I was, no, security, no, I was living off of credit cards. The one security that I did have, and I always recommend this, I used to teach a class at Belmont and I would always tell the students, you know, the one thing was, and I know people disagree with me because I know most, a lot of entrepreneurs are super successful, did it at a very young age and dropped out of college or whatever. My philosophy was, I even say it to some of the actors and models I work with when they're younger, I had my college degree, I had my law degree. So yes, it was risky. And I mean, at that point, I was, you know, living with two roommates after being a successful attorney. Now I have two roommates, I'm moving off of credit cards, you know, not, not, had the first two years, I mean, barely broke even. But I knew in the back of my mind, God forbid this fails, I could go back to being a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Now, that was what I told myself after two years. I don't know how practical that would have been. I don't think I could have just jumped back into the level of law I was practicing because of the two-year gap in my resume. Yeah. But listen, if you have a, 
undergraduate degree and law degree. It's kind you of couldn't be able to get a job. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it wasn't a matter of, and, and the beauty of Nashville was I've made so many connections for several years. She's so amazing and wants to help. And, yeah. you know, I would have been able to get a job, but it would have been a big hit to my pride. And I think that's what motivated me. There was there was a little bit of, you know, stuff that happened that motivated me that sometimes anger and that kind of stuff is the best motivator and wanting to prove stuff, something. Um, and I just don't believe in failing. It's, you know, everybody says greatest fear. So, I mean, I wasn't going to, and I was going to hustle and I was going to outsmart and do whatever I had to do. Um, but yes, it was, it wasn't like I had, and my parents were great, but it wasn't like I had my parents financially to fall back mm -hmm. on. And I didn't have, you know, some pot of money that I had saved up. I didn't practice long enough. And I still had my student loans and everything. So it was more like a determination that yeah. this is going to work because I'm not going to tell people I failed. Yeah. Why do you think a lot of people in that two-year time period give up? You know, because it's hard. Yeah. It's hard and it's scary. And I mean, even to this day, you know, when things are going well, knock on wood, you know, when, when, when you work for yourself, you don't have a regular paycheck. You don't yeah. have regular vacation. You don't have that 401k. No. Usually at that that's point, right. you have nothing. That's right. So if you have a bad month, you have a bad month. When you work for corporate, you have a bad month, you still have your salary. Yeah. I mean, yeah, of course, you know, there's other fears in corporate that maybe they can lay you off and things like that. Your, but your yeah, bonuses, yeah. but you know what you're making. Yeah. Every your your basic you needs your are taken care of. Correct. When, when, you're, when you're running your own business, you know, and then to run your own business, you have to take some risks. You have to, you know, do things. You have to spend a little money to make a little money, you know. And I mean, the biggest risk I took was probably the Denver situation. It just kind of happened up another weird chain of events, but you got to go with your gut. And I always wanted to open a second office. I was actually eyeing Las Vegas for a long time. And then that didn't end up working out, which was a blessing in disguise. And then the Denver opportunity came about. And, you know, Denver was a city I always enjoyed. Yeah. you know, visiting back in the day and the opportunity was right and, you know, I I said, screw it and just go in. You get you know, because otherwise you're just doing the same thing. You know, one, you need a new challenge, mm -hmm. but two, any business that's doing well, I believe you want to take to a another level. Another level, right. You know, right. and I think this helped do that and because there's only so much of a ceiling mm -hmm. having one office. Do you feel like, well, you've been, you've worked for yourself long enough that I feel like this probably applies to you. What I find a lot of times is as entrepreneurs, you get, you get really, um, especially for me, I get very, if once it starts going well, if you will, and that sounds stupid, but once it starts going well and it's kind of running itself, you kind of start get, getting bored unless you're thinking of that next level or do you still find yourself in that situation where like now you've got these two places, but you're always thinking like, okay, how can I go bigger? How can I do this better? Is it, or is it more of a like, how do we just perfect what we now have? Yeah, that's really actually a good question. Um, part of my problem is I work 24 seven, seven days a week because I complain that I work 24 seven, seven days Amen. a week. Same here. Um, my <laughs> phone's always ringing. Like, you know, if I'm on quote unquote vacation with my friends, I'm still working, but my philosophy is I can't take a real vacation, but I'd rather enjoy myself 60% of the vacation than not go at all. Um, but, you know, so the better you do, the, the more you work, but you kind of do 
you need that next challenge. But then when you take the next challenge, you kick yourself because you're like, just well, I needed more work. Like, yeah. yeah. You know, but at the same time. You kind of live for it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm a masochist. But when it comes, better. Yeah, it really is. You know, it's like most people commute, you know, 35 minutes from the suburbs. I'm commuting Denver to Nashville. Yeah. You know, I'm on, thank God for United, uh, shout out, maybe sponsor. Um, <laughs> my status is through the roof, but I love that. My upgrades, my free baggage, they've been awesome, thank you. Um, but I mean, I'm a regular off those planes. And, you know, I was very stingy about giving free baggage. Oh no, I mean, once you get, once you get high status, <laughs> you get your bags free. That's you what I'm saying, you have to get up pretty high. Uh, this is like a commercial for United, I'm flattered, and I'm about to take one K for this year, and I'm in a, in a pandemic, and I, I mean, that's probably more, I'm more proud of that than anything else. So in 2021, I'm going to be traveling quite a bit if I get that one K status. So, shout nice. out United. <laughs> nice. What do you think is the biggest thing you learned from managing people? <laughs> God, I don't know what to say. You, you also have a degree in, in uh, psychology, right? Uh, sociology. Sociology. Okay. So broadcasting sociology. Um, I think it was sociology. I was, I was, I was, I was either <laughs> sociology or criminology. I always forget which one I ended up with because I was always between the two. And it's, I haven't used either, clearly. But, you know, I think, and for me, it's, I mean, each agency, we have like 300 talents. So that's 600 or so talents. That's a lot of work. A lot of people, a lot of people. A lot of people. Some of them work, you know, one or two times a year. Some of them are working weekly, just depending on different categories and different, you know, levels of, you know, what they're doing. Um, the, the the most the most challenging thing? or the What's most, the biggest thing you, you feel like you've learned from? That everyone's different. That you have to treat everyone differently, you know, and not everyone's going to do everything the way you want them to do things. And with what we do, we work everywhere from kids at like five or six years old up to people, retired people mm -hmm. um, in their 70s, maybe even 80s. And dealing with people of different generations is also challenging. Yeah. Um, just because, again, the same job could have, you know, you see a commercial and it's got kids, it's got mom, it's got grandma, right? You know, so you're dealing with all different people on the same job. And especially now during the pandemic, nobody's having in-person casting, so people have to do audition tapes. You know, and the older people aren't as good with the technology. I mean, that's a generalization. Yeah, you're like, kind of filling in. And right, but and then, the, you know, the younger people, the millennials, kind of have kind of a different attitude with stuff, and that's a little challenging sometimes because, you know, it's just different generationally, you know, and you have to kind of talk to the, to the different people in different ways. And even sometimes some people in the same kind of age category or whatever, um, you just have to remember that you can't, you treat everybody fairly, but that doesn't mean you treat everybody the same, meaning you have to adjust by personality. And same with clients. You know, some clients are super simple and, you know, you just have to say, hey, here's this, that, and the other thing. Other clients want things done in a specific way. And if that's what they ask, that's what you have to give them. <laughs> you know, whether, whether it's more complicated than it needs to be or not, if that's what they ask for, that's what you have to give them. But then you also have to pass on to your talent, but that's what you have to give them. Yeah. So everybody has to kind of do it. So I think the hardest thing or the, the most challenging thing about dealing with people is no two people are the same. And you kind of have to keep that in mind, especially in my business, which is a relationship business. So how, in, in, in the, from the, the way of looking at it, I have clients, you have clients, things mm -hmm. like that. What is a, a generalized way maybe uh, that you connect with them or that you find out, like, you said, you know, if I have a client that wants things a certain way, how do you get 
to understand what it is they're wanting? Do you have, you know, how do you connect with people basically to simplify that? I mean, I try to be personable and I try to deal with as many people I'm working with directly with our talent, especially the ones that live in Nashville and Denver. I've tried to make sure I meet every person. And every new person that we sign, I meet with in person. So that way I kind of, even though we don't see them much after that, I get a feel for them mm-hmm. in person. And like I said, text messaging, email, I want to know. And with clients, what I learned, and maybe I learned it from law school, is ask. Really? Ask the questions. Whether whether you're selling roofs like I do, or mm-hmm. whether you're you're in the talent business, you ask the questions. Yeah, what are you looking for? Okay, yes, okay, you want X, Y, and Z. Well, how do you want to present it? How do you want me to send this to you? What, what do you, you want, want the end result to yes, be? Yes, what, what, what are you really looking for? Talk to me. You know, and a lot of times, even with clients, it's when we know the talent as well as we do, sometimes they're describing something, and I know, or at least I can suggest, and I, I don't play favorites with any of the talent. You know, there's whether I'm good friends with this one talent and just have a professional relationship with another, I don't show favoritism one or the other, the right person to get the job. But having known all of them, no matter in what way it is, when clients ask questions and are, are trying to kind of determine who they want, I like to have a good understanding of our talent so I can match the right talent with the right client. So, you know. So so it's a communication thing. This constant, ongoing communication of understanding each other's wants, needs, and then fulfilling it. Correct. Yeah. It's it's all about communication. Yes, for sure. And if we did that in politics, we'd probably have a better world. We probably (laughs) would, but I don't foresee it every time. No, you're not planning on running? I'd run for mayor 2023. Hey, you know what? I think you're I'd be considering mayor. That's, That's local politics. And what I always say about local politics is doesn't matter about the, the controversial issues. It's, are you going to fix my potholes? Or are you going to do my taxes? I didn't help the business. Who's going to pick up the garbage? It shouldn't, it shouldn't be divisive like our national politics. It should be about the city and all the people. You know, I like to personally not, I don't want to know what party my mayor is personally because it should not relate it shouldn't to that or stuff. If they want to run for senator or congress, yes, you have to know those things, but for mayor, it should be about this. what's good for the city. And a lot of times that doesn't align. It shouldn't align with a political party. And I think part of the problem in a lot of the cities in America right now are the mayors have gotten it political. It national yes. and political. And they, if they're in one party, they take in one side. If they're in another party, they take in the other side. And that shouldn't be happening in cities. It just shouldn't. One thing I've noticed that you see more and more is sometimes the people on the mayor's staff, they don't, they're not even from here. They're bringing them in kind of to serve that local party, if you will. And I'm with you. I don't think you should even know. It shouldn't matter. Yep. You're here to serve your locally. But that's that's a, if, if you became mayor of Nashville, what's the first thing you, you'd focus on? Um, I wasn't, I didn't even know we were going here, but now. God, I, I, I actually thought that hard. <laughs> I mean, what, honestly, the first thing I would, I would focus on would be the, one of the things that's most important to me is education. And we focus on school systems here. Um, I think, you know, city schools are not at the level they should be. And I never think the answer is pumping more money in. I think it's going in and actually fixing the schools. And I think you could do it for less money than they're spending. I think anytime there's a problem, they just throw money at it. And I also think, you know, there just needs to be some sort of um, better curriculum for these kids. Yes, should they be learning history and geography and social studies and whatever they call it now in English and math? Mm-hmm. But 
they should also be learning how to balance a checkbook, how to apply for a job, and some real life things that these kids come out of high school and college and have never had to do before. Yeah. Um, you know, and and those things, especially nowadays, when everything is on a computer now, I think some of the math and some of the things that are being taught, you know, when we were kids, you used to, you know, your parents and your teachers used to say, well, you're not going to have a calculator. You're going to have to know how to do it yourself. Well, guess what? Now we all have a calculator in our hand. Yeah. So maybe take a little time away from some of the things that are not. And, and you know, listen, not every kid needs to take geometry and algebra. And I believe in those kind of subjects for challenging their brain and critical thinking. But maybe spend a little less time on trigonometry for some of these kids and a little more time on stuff that might actually be a career for them you know, and help them succeed. So honestly, my number one thing, which would surprise a lot of people that know me, would be diving deep into these public schools here and fixing them. And, and how does that even start? When you're when you're talking about changing, you know, something that, that may have been a, a part of the system for a long time, how do you even start with that? Is it is it just bringing awareness? Or is it, like you said, maybe even as much as physically going there and saying, okay, well, do you then take like tests or, or you do different results and see what this group is doing and what this group is doing and I mean, switch it up? I mean, I think focus groups and all that stuff are a lot of crap and way for politicians to give their cronies some money. Yeah. Go in, roll your, roll your sleeves up, you know? Go in the schools, talk to the teachers, talk to the students, talk to the parents. What's going on? What's going on? Again. again, just ask the questions and then fix it. Just be a problem solver and hire the right people. If you run a business with thousands of employees, what a mayor is, you have to hire people. But you don't want to like I just you don't want to hire another career politician or you know community person that says they know about schools. Bring in someone that's fixed the school systems before. You know, bring someone from a smaller city that's helped their schools and let them fix our schools. But you know, I think that's something that crosses all demographics and, and groups in town. And to me, I don't even have kids, but I've worked with kids for 15 years. And I still think education is the most important thing because your city improves if the quality of education improves because then everybody that's graduating that's you know being productive to your city society has has a better leg up and you know it just it just helps the city in every aspect. And if you can do that for less money, you can put the money towards other things, you know, other community projects and stuff. You know, and I'm, I'm also someone that, you know, I think what's made Nashville grow and with Tennessee grow are lower taxes and, you know, it should stay that way. And to me, again, a lot of these cities and states and the country have, don't have revenue problems. They have spending problems. Right, or a balanced budget. That's exactly our, our right. local government doesn't even know what a balanced budget is. They don't even know what a budget is. When I was a kid, we didn't go on vacation if we didn't have any money. You didn't get to go out for a steak dinner if you could only afford McDonald's. The city should be the same way. And if it means making tough choices, make tough choices. But I don't think with all the tourism and all the hotels and all the stuff going on in town that we don't have enough money coming in. They're just spending it uncontrollably. Yeah. And, you know, cut your own. And, and, and also, you know, cut yourself. Meaning, by that I mean, you know, your own staff. Um, you know, that's how I do my business. I keep my overhead low, I keep my staff lean. I just have to work harder. Mm-hmm. And I think that should be the same way. You don't need 50 people doing a job that four people could do. 
you want to hire people that are willing to do more work and work harder. And you know, if if I'm asking other people to sacrifice X, Y, and Z, sacrifice should come from the top first. Yeah. Um, Nashville's just booming way too much, and I get there's a pandemic, but this was a problem before the pandemic, and it will be a problem after the pandemic. Nashville's booming. There's no reason we don't have enough money, and we just need to be smarter about it without you know raising taxes. And we do have to be pro business because. Everybody always wants to complain about businesses, but that should create jobs, and everybody needs to work. So there has to be a balance between. Um, but we're a fortunate city, and you know I really think that there's there's a lot that can be done for this city that's not very complicated or reinventing the wheel. It's just doing it the right way. Right, and not the not the like you said the career politician way. Right. Which leads me to this question: Is why do you think when when you look at who we keep voting in, it is the career politicians. Whether even, and this can even be on a national scale, why do you think it is that people keep doing that, but yet they get so irritated with where we end up? I think it's because, and I don't think it matters what party again, I think it's because, like you said, it's if the city votes Republican or the city votes Democrat, like you said, it just they keep voting for career politicians. I think it's just because of the machine behind them and the power behind them and the takes money. money and, you know, I, I don't have money to run, but I have a little bit of a platform, a small one. Hopefully it will be bigger soon. But, you know, I'd like to get the word out grassroots, knock on doors. If, if, if I do this, I'm... If, if, if you I'll do this, come to me and I'll Right, I'm, I'm in. Like, <laughs> I'll be taking $5 and I'll be, on, I'll be playing on Broadway for tips to support my mayoral campaign. But I think that's what it is at the end of the day. The career politicians, you know, and, and everybody in different parties, people kind of it's their time. It's their time. It's like, it shouldn't be like that. You know, it should be some new fresh blood. And of course, if someone like me became mayor, I would be smart enough to hire people that do know politics and do know right. what I don't know, because I wouldn't run being like, oh, I know how to be mayor. But I don't think anyone knows how to be mayor until they are. It's, you just need someone that can make the tough decisions and kind of lead and, and, and you know, um, I think that in a lot of politics is, is part of the problem. Well, yeah, it's like you said, you run it like a business. You, you cut your your costs, you cut your bread. You, you don't just, I think so many people, again, kind of what you said, is they get in there and they're like, this is my time to shine. And it's almost more about, look where I'm at now. Look, look, all these people wanted me here. And all of a sudden you're forgetting that you're serving those people. Yeah, and let's be honest, Nashville is a town that now makes its name and money off of music, bars, Broadway, you need someone who's been in the bars before. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to run being ashamed to say that I'm partying on Broadway. <laughs> it's a badge of honor to me. That's what pays the bills in this city. Yeah. You can't have, um, you know, people in charge and shutting down the lifeblood of this economy. If Broadway goes bust, the city follows. Yeah, and you know, yeah, our bars are the most important thing in the world. Everybody's like foo foo's bars. The bar industry is super important in our city. It employs a ton of people. It's what brings in the tourists. If we don't have the tourists, all these brand new hotels are empty. All these people that invest in Airbnbs can't rent them out. That's going to crush the, the real estate market. Um, so you really do need someone that understands all parts of Nashville. And part of Nashville is the nightlife. Other parts of it is healthcare. They're, they're, Nashville is a, a very diverse city with what the business is and the people. Um, 
but you know, also young thinking. And I mean, like I said, I'm not really 28, but I'm also you know young enough to. And I work with people of all ages and all different. You know, you understand people. Yeah, and especially in this city, I work with people from all backgrounds. People that have been here for their whole life. People who've just moved here, and and it's given me a kind of almost focus group, for lack of a better term, of what people want, what people need. And, you know, fortunately in our business, we call it in Nashville, don't quit your day job business for the actors and the models. So a lot of them have other careers. So I'm fortunate to deal with a lot of realtors, a lot of bartenders, a lot of healthcare workers, a lot of pharmaceutical sales, school teachers, you name it. So I kind of am able to kind of get to know the community. In a way, it's it's almost like a, a sample size yeah. of Greater Nashville. Working um, with everyone of every size. Yeah, all races, all ethnicities, different financial backgrounds and stuff, and it's it's really cool and it's great. And you know, it, people from all over the country and even people that come from other countries, you know, that have ended up here. Um, it's been really a kind of great way to kind of just meet people that you would not have normally met. So it's really inspiring. If you could do anything in the world. If all your needs were met, you had plenty of money in the bank, you could do anything in the world, what would you do? Honestly, I'd probably have a nice house in Nashville, Tennessee, because this is home, but I would have a place in Sydney, Australia, and a place maybe on the south of France, and I would go decompress for a little bit and just chill the heck out. And you think you're running for mayor is not going to put more pressure? Oh, it is, but I don't have all the money in the world, so I still have to work. <laughs> if, I, if I did have all the money in the world, I wouldn't run for mayor. Yeah. I would go chill. I, I I'm never going to unless I hit the lottery. So. <laughs> Actually, you know what else I might do is buy a sports team. That would be my ultimate really? goal, would be to buy the Preds. No offense, Preds ownership, you're great. But I would like to buy, like, a, you know, again, it would never happen, but if we're talking about winning the lottery, that might be what I would do. What, if, what, would, your, what would your challenge be with, with buying a team? What do you think, what, do you, what part of you do you think is, is attracted to the idea of, of owning a team? I mean, I just, again, I love being, I would love to be like a CEO, but of a sports team. The competitive yeah. part of it. Well, I'm, to, I'm make it to make it better. Yes, when, when you're my size and my athletic ability, you were never able to play <laughs> after eighth grade. So the only thing you could really do is own the team to be part of it. Um, I just think it would be fun. I think it would be, again, similar to like the mayor thing. You're kind of running an organization with a bunch of players. I think my biggest challenge would be keeping my mouth shut. Yeah. You know, if, if the refs made a bad call, I wouldn't be able to bite my tongue. I'd be yelling things. So you're fighting for your people. What? Yeah. You're fighting for yeah. your people. But I'd also have fun with it. Like, sometimes some of these owners are just too boring, like, with their yeah. little suits on. And, yeah. you know, I'd be there in my jersey and yeah. drinking my beer. And, you know, like, I'd be a fan at the game. Like, I'm going to be, if I, if I pay for the team, yeah. my ass is going to enjoy the game. <laughs> Forget the, the whole social look up here that's supposed to go with it. Yes, and I mean, ultimately, no matter what city it was in, but especially Nashville, all I want to see before I die is a parade down Broadway. Because no city could throw a championship parade like Nashville, Tennessee. So I would like to see, you know, in my lifetime, the Preds or the Titans, or maybe a new major league baseball team that could come to Nashville, win a championship, and march down Broadway. So that's why I was... I'm a, I'm a glass half full guy. When the Preds didn't win the cup this year, my reaction was, you know what? That's okay because you don't want to win the cup the year that you can't parade down Broadway because of COVID. So I think it was intentional. We're saving it for a better time. Hey, I'll go with that. Yeah. 
So, so you work with a lot of people from all over. You probably see a lot of people coming in. What about Nashville specifically? And this is our audience is far more than Nashville. But yeah. Since we were talking a lot about Nashville, what is it that is attractive to people about Nashville? What about Nashville is so great? I mean, you know, we see it being here sometimes, and we have the good, bad, and the ugly. You have the screaming bridesmaids every day. Which I love. Well, I love the bachelorette parties. I think they're, <laughs> I think they're more entertaining than any well, this is true. right now. This is true. So, it, but, but what is it about it that, that draws people here? From is it? Do you think we're just a more lenient city, if you will? We're a friendlier city. I, I, honestly, I always say Nashville is the most friendly city I've ever been to, and it's genuine. There, there's nothing like it. Um, Do you think that'll ever change? Yeah, I, I think it's changing a little bit now. Not too much, but I, I worry about too many people moving here and changing the dynamic. But what I think is the um, the best thing, I think, one, I think just the location. You're, you're a four or five hour drive from like 10, yeah, 10 very central. cities. Yeah. So people, you know, you're a quick flight to the entire East Coast, which is the majority of the population of the country. But I also think, one, the weather, or maybe minus one, it gets rainy and kind of gross. But the weather's good. But people are just so nice, and it's a fun city. I think a lot of people have come here for a bachelor, bachelorette party and fell along with the city moved here. I mean, a lot of people yeah. tell that story. They did a weekend here, and two years later, they're like moving to Nashville. Yeah. I also think it's a, it, it has been a city where it's been growing, it's still affordable. Those of us who've lived in Nashville forever are like stare shot at how expensive it's gotten. But then if you put yourself in the place of someone from San Fran, LA, New York, Philly. Even Denver. Even Denver. Denver's more expensive. You're like, oh, Nashville's kind of cheap. Yeah. You know, and you can get a lot more, a lot more bang yeah. for your buck. And just, we do have, we have such a vibrant nightlife. We have great restaurants. We have pro sports. Um, just, Used to. Yeah. It's coming back now. <laughs> right, 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 right. We, we, I'm sorry, pre-COVID, we had all those things. Now we have like 20 When you're saying that, I'm like, God, I miss those days. Yes, yes. You know, we need to be open more, but that's another podcast. But no, I think it's just, I, I've never met anybody that's come to Nashville, whether it's for a weekend or longer, that isn't like, oh my God, that city's awesome. Other cities, people have differing opinions. Nashville, I've never met anybody that doesn't want it. I did security downtown for a summer when, uh, before I had this company I have now, and we were launching a, an app and different things. And anyway, I got bored and I needed to get out. So I did security for Paradise Park up until when they closed. I love Paradise Park. Yeah. Oh, man, I miss it. back. Yeah. yeah. Is it though? Well, <laughs> well, I, I'm, a, I'm a sticker. I'm a sticker because the I'm original Peace Square was the ball. Yeah, I used to come here back when I uh, first, before I lived here and I was 18, whatever, my parents moved to Kentucky from uh, Lancaster. Then. And I used to come down here and go to Paradise Park and you'd get in. You'd get in without having your ID or sometimes or whatever. I remember what, what is, what's his name? The guy sat out there in the overall Yeah, yeah. You made friends with him, you got in. And so that's what we used to do. And and then then when I was security there, so it just became a part of me. And so now I don't care what they do. I was like, you're never gonna you're never gonna bring it back. Yeah, but old, old Nashville when when the stage and Tootsies were one floor. Yeah. Well, Tootsies was always technically two floors. Yeah. There was really one, and the bathroom just had a curtain. So if, <laughs> if, you, if you had to do number two, you were in trouble in Tootsies because there was no door on the Special toilet stall. I remember that it was a, it was literally 
a bunch of 60 and 70 year olds downtown that were coming to love country music and all those vocals would go to Midtown. Now it's a nice mix of both. Um, but it's funny seeing how Nashville changed because I remember in like God, 08, 09, the only time you would go downtown is if you had some tourist friend in town and they just wanted to see it. Yeah. And now Broadway is like, well, they've changed so much stuff, and, and it's now you have you know when you live here long enough, you have friends who work there, and you want to go. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, you know, I said started that to say it was just every day, kind of what you said. You meet people from from Canada, from whatever. We have a ton of oh Canadians. God, Canadian. All my Canadian friends out there, Canadians love Nashville. Oh, they love Nashville, and they all want to move here. Oh, they all. That's want to move I heard here. that more than anything. I just want to move here. I don't want to leave. I don't want, and, and and I think it's it's. When I think Nashville, there's something about Nashville, and hopefully we haven't lost it with this whole COVID mess. I think it'll come back. I think it'll, it'll snap back. It'll snap back. But I think there's something about Nashville, a weekend, if you will, in Nashville, that takes you away from life. Well, it even if you live here, it does. And I mean, especially when you're in Canada, like, oh, Nashville, hey, I love Nashville. <laughs> it's a ball time thing. Um, no, but I, I think you're right. I also think. When people are here for a good time, Broadway starts popping at like 10, 11 a.m. Yeah. Nobody has stuff like, yeah. and I have like an email set every time someone's like, I'm coming to Nashville, where should we go? Where should we say? I'm like, okay, and I just forward this email. And now I have to keep adding things because a new restaurant opens every day and it's down in a new hotel, but they're all great. And I'm like, oh God, I have to edit this again. But it's so funny because I send these people all these recommendations, and then at the end of the day, when I asked them after the weekend how it was, if I'm not in town, they're like, oh, it was great. We walked up and down Broadway. We walked up and down Broadway. went to all the bars for three straight days. Never made dinner. Never <laughs> couldn't get dressed up to go to a nice restaurant. Didn't go to that place you told me. Didn't go to Cheekwood. Didn't do all the music. Didn't do all those things. Didn't go to the Frist. All we did was, you know, we were at Whiskey Row. We were at AJ's Good Time Bar. And we partied at Tootsie's. And meanwhile, I'm like, you don't seem like the type that, you know, and they're like, well, you know, that Nashville one, us zero. And, you know, that's, it's funny when people come here that there's so much Nashville has to offer and people don't leave a five block radius, but God bless them <laughs> and spend your money here and then go home. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's beautiful. I, I love it. I think it's, I sometimes get tired of it, but then, then when you do leave, you're, you're ready to come back. Well, and speaking of people leaving, the, my set after I fixed the education system in Nashville, the other thing that would be my top priority would be to make sure we bring back BNA carpet in Nashville Airport. Really? I think it's a travesty that they're ripping that carpet I don't understand, I don't understand that. Or they need to have a, a monument to it in the middle of the airport, in the new terminal or the old terminal. I don't care, but BNA carpet is special to me and i feel like you know it it is every time i get off the plane i'm so happy to see it unfortunately in terminal a where united is they haven't ripped it up yet so i still get to see it every time i come and go but i'm getting a little nervous and i saw that like new carpet they're putting in and you know the tile floor and i'm like your beanie carpet's pretty ugly but what you're replacing it with is not (laughs) much better um so yeah hey people um Mark Block from Air. If you want your BNA carpet, now you know what to do. Exactly. I think that's one that I can bring people across the aisle on. Uh, well, we'll wrap this up soon. Uh, there's something I wanted to kind of get to too. This is kind of a step back, but if if someone is looking with everything you've learned about the modeling, acting, 
And someone was to come to you and say, you know, it could be a little kid, could be someone older. Their dream was always to be a model or an actor. Someone that said, I want, I really want to do this. What's something that you would tell them that? What's some, what's the advice that you'd give to whether it was you when you were 15, 16, and you wanted to own the agency, or whether it's someone that wants to come in and, and be a player in it? Mm -hmm. What do you what What's something that you feel like they should be focused on? On meaning like being a model or an actor. Being a model, general. being an actor, actress, you know, just like if they say you're they're they're pitching you. Yeah. And what's something you're looking for that that can help like anyone listening if, if that's where they want to get to? Well my one advice to them is to one have a thick skin and not take things personally. Because with what we do, you can be the prettiest girl or the best looking guy and I know what my clients are looking for and you might send me in your stuff and I may just have a need for you. I might have five other people that are very similar that have been working with me for years but I'm not going to take someone new to compete with them. It doesn't mean you're not great. Right. It just means I don't have a need for your age or whatever it is at the time. And so, it, it and, and I make mistakes. I mean, there's people I'm sure have emailed me that I've passed on that probably are amazing. Yeah. And I know that, but it's all timing, you know, and it's like certain times we need someone of this height, certain times we need someone that has this color hair, whatever it might be. So if you're sending me at the wrong time, I just might not. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing too is it's, you know, be self-aware a little bit. I think a lot of people lack self-awareness. It doesn't mean not every model has to be beautiful in 510, not every actor has to be, or actress has to be Meryl Streep. But, you know, it's kind of like the opening auditions to American Idol. Yeah. You know, William Hung, you know, she bangs, like that whole thing. Like, I'm five. I'm not going to say five what. I'm just short. <laughs> uh, like, my age, I like to lie about it. But I knew I wasn't going to be in the NBA. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, I accepted that in an early age. Um, you know, so I, I think that's an important kind of lesson for people. And also, the most simple thing, though, that I can say, mostly to millennials I would tell this to, is to be smart about how you submit. So most people nowadays submit to agencies via email or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, if you're gonna send a submission, send it between nine and five Monday to Friday when people are normal work hours. I mean, I, yeah, do I work 24 hours a day, seven days a week? But if I get an email at 10 o'clock on Saturday night that's not urgent, that's just a submission, it's probably not gonna be looked at. And by Monday morning, 50 other things have happened and I'm not going to see it. And, you know, whatever agency you're sending to might miss you because of when you're sending it. I know, you know, kids these days, as they say, as my dad used to say, when they get off of work at, you know, 11 o'clock at night, say they're a bartending or one in the morning, that's when it's on their mind that they thought about it once so they said that they take a breath, wait till the next morning. Because... You can prepare it, but wait to send it. That's right. Because, you know, even though we're we're in a world where everybody's always working, everybody's always on their phones. People also like to have boundaries and, you know, yeah, am I available at eight o'clock at night on a Wednesday if I have a job or a client needs me or something's going on the next morning if a town's working the next morning and has a question? Gonna get back to them in 30 seconds. But if I see an email that, oh, I wanna be a model, great. Yeah. I'm not gonna look and respond at 10 o'clock at night on Sunday. And by Monday morning, a lot of might have come in, and I may never get back to that email. Right. So, you know that that's that's probably the biggest 
simple piece of advice I could give, and that goes for just a lot of things in the world now, is just to have a respect for other people's time. Mm-hmm. You know, if something's not urgent, let people be on Sunday. Mm-hmm. You know, save it for mm-hmm. Monday. If it's urgent, text them right away. And I don't think that's just my business. I think that's kind of, yeah. you know, we're all so addicted to our phones that I try to, you know, give other people a break. Mm-hmm. Also, if it's up, and I'm guilty of it too sometimes. I might text someone on a Saturday so I don't forget. And then after I do it, I'll kick myself. Like, you know, I want to practice what I preach. Yeah. But I think that's a good, simple piece of advice that, you know, a lot of people jump in here to. But put yourself in the person's shoes that you're sending it to instead of yeah. what's convenient for you. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Well, if um, we can tweak this maybe a bit. I, my question is usually if you had five minutes, you don't have to take five minutes on it, but let's say what's one thing you feel like the world needs to hear? So if you were on a world stage, or in this case, it could be a national stage, and you had a couple minutes to share what's on your heart, what does the world need to hear right now? Honestly, I think simply we don't need to be so divisive. Just because someone disagrees with you politically doesn't mean they're a bad person. Put your phone down for a minute. But everybody gets so angry now about politics, and it's just dumb. People who genuinely like each other aren't talking to each other, get mad at each other, or making nasty comments on each other's social media. Not everything needs to be about politics. You can like people, and you can like people that disagree with you. I honestly believe, I would say 90%, because there's probably 5% on each side that doesn't fit this category. I would say 90% of people are coming from a good place. They may disagree with you. They may have a different upbringing. They may have a different reason for why they think of something. It doesn't make them a bad person. And also, because of that, you should have friends that disagree with you. Right. You should never understand why someone has an opposing view. You're not friends with someone that does. And too many people on all sides are in their echo chambers and just hang out with people. You know, really write that person off if you think. That's right. And it's like you need to have... And sometimes you need to have discussions that are uncomfortable about it to understand why people are doing it. But come from a place where just because they disagree with you doesn't mean they're a bad person, you should tune them out. Maybe mute their Instagram stories so you don't have to see it if it makes you mad. But it doesn't mean you don't want to keep talking to them and you don't want to hear why they think that. Just people aren't bad because they disagree with you. And I think that's the problem today is that I think everybody goes to that thing, well, you like this or you believe this, so therefore you're bad. That's not the case. People, there's good people that disagree with you, and you know, listen, there's bad people in the world too, but it's usually not because of their politics. And people just need to take a deep breath, just smile, and be nice to each other, and I think the world would be a better place. Amen to that. Is it really worth losing that friend over national politics, which in the end, most of the time, don't even affect you? And I was raised. With you don't talk about money, you don't talk about religion, you don't talk about politics, and I think the world would be a much better place oh, yeah. if we went back oh, to that. Yeah. It's probably wouldn't be as honest of a place, yeah. but I think it would be a happier place. And you know, maybe there's a happier medium in between that maybe it's good to talk about certain things, but it might be nice if like and my other platform would be can we go back to when everybody was arguing about stuff and posting political stuff just did it on Facebook and left Instagram back to being happy and just please memes and fun God, please. so yes. we can enjoy it and escape go to Twitter and Facebook for the negative let's get yeah. into leave our us, new leave platform. One platform that just, we can just be ourselves just let me open it scroll through and laugh and have fun please yeah. that's all I ask for in life 
now you can, and then then even when Instagram started with the stories, you'd have the food pictures, and now you have politics. I would go back to food <laughs> pictures and pictures of my friend's three-year-old kid picking their nose any day <laughs> to stop the political stuff on Instagram. Go back uh, to Facebook with, you know, Karen from accounting that you can argue with, or people from your <laughs> high school that you haven't talked to in 20 years that you're still arguing with. We can go back. Yeah. Hey, we, we really need to get you in the political office. You, you got solving the, right. the world's problems. Yes, you are. One podcast, one, one podcast at a time. <laughs> if you could ask any one person, alive or dead, any one question, who would it be? What would the question be? Oh, if there's ever anything that you really just wanted to know. Oh my God. I don't like to think about this. Um, that one kind of catches people off guard. Yeah. One person I ask anything to. I don't know. That doesn't make sense. Um, you don't, you don't want to ask our mayor anything? Nope. <laughs> nope. We're going gonna, gonna to take a pass on that one. Um, let's come back to that. I need to think. Right. Yeah. Well, um, man, I've, I've really enjoyed this. This is, uh, I, I just want to acknowledge you for, for, I think, I think you're someone that, that we need more of. I think you're someone that, that really cares about people. You really care about getting to know and understand people's stories. Thank you. And, wow. and I think that's, uh, that's nice. we're, we're, we're lacking a lot of that right now. And so if, for anyone that can run an agency the size of yours and semi Keep everyone semi happy. Semi. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll say semi. I, th I think you're doing a hell of a job. Um, so it's, it's it's definitely been really cool to uh, to have that and get to get to know who Mark Block is. Well, thank you very much. It was a good time. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it yeah. a lot. I wish I could think of an answer to the other question. That's getting. all right. Well, let's just spew on that, and then maybe we'll oh, six or eight miles later, and I'll come up and text you. Yeah, yeah, do that. We'll go get a drink, and then maybe we'll figure out that. But, and then when we bring you back on when you're uh, the mayor of Nashville in uh, three years or uh, we'll we can kick this one out earlier. We, we pretty much launched my campaign. So, okay. so, I, so I got a verbal agreement. If you make it mayor, I get to I get to bring you on again. Yes, deal. 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 From the mayor's office. <laughs> From the mayor's office. Well, cool, man. This has been great. Uh, I I really have enjoyed this. So how um, how can people follow you and, and get to, you know, follow your story and, and where do they find you and Instagram at the block agency, T H E B L O C K agency at the block agency. Yeah, that would be great. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, that's going to be it for today, guys. Great. And until next time. Thanks again for tuning in to the ultimate shift. Look, I know life is crazy. Life gets busy and we all kind of have an idea of where we want to go and where we want to end up. But there's so many things that come up in between. And my goal with this show is to grab one thing from every guest that we can apply to our lives that help get us closer to our end goal. You can follow me on Instagram at Ephraim Glick, Facebook at Ephraim Glick, Twitter at Glick Ephraim, or you can go to the website at EphraimGlick.com. See you next time.